I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Den of Geek podcast featuring commentary on the latest news from denofgeek.com as well as other behind the scenes content from your favorite movies, TV shows and more. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is episode 11, the late edition of G News for June 2018, in which we'll be discussing a sequel, a spinoff, and some second season fun, among other things. All right, and we have perhaps our most unusual bonus item ever in the Den of Geek podcast, a wonderful interview from Daniel Curland with Joe Para of Joe Para Talks With You on Adult Swim. And I can't wait to share that one with you. It's a lot of fun, but there's... Tons of stuff coming out on the site, but we've got a couple of things that are dealing with things just finishing and things just starting. So let's dive right in with the news for the latter half of June. All right, Mike, well, let's start off with Westworld. So first off, spoiler alert. If you haven't watched through at least episode eight of season two, either stop now or be forewarned. Skip ahead maybe three or four minutes for the next feature. <laughs> on the other hand, if you're like me and get totally confused by the timeline shifts, read on anyway, even though you've only seen the first couple episodes of Westworld's <laughs> sophomore offering because, uh, and I love that about the show. But in his current article, Westworld Season 2 Timelines Explained, David Crow points out right away that showrunners Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy now make no narrative apologies for pulling the rug out from under the viewer with an even more fluid approach to presenting and interweaving tales from this futuristic theme park. Now, initially, viewers struggled to get a handle on what's going on with Bernard, but as usual, this remains Dolores's story, at least at the beginning. <laughs> I can't wait to get to this point. I think yeah. I might have to get spoiled listening here. All right, so let's start with timeline A, or what appears to be the present, whenever that actually is. Right. And Dolores continues her attempt to bring down Delos with the help of Teddy. Maeve sets out to find her daughter, enlisting the aid of a Delos tech. And structurally, we see both Dolores and Teddy's earliest bloodlust in the season two premiere, and Bernard and Charlotte Hale's narrow escape of the Robert Ford massacre happen in near tandem. Or so it appears. <laughs> now, timeline B introduces itself as Bernard wakes up disoriented on a beach, only to discover his glasses missing and dozens of bodies floating in the surf. Most of these events occur just after the uprising at Ford's party. And later, Charlotte Hale states that it's been about a week to give viewers a more concrete frame of reference. And while timeline B appears to be the future most timeline in the season, the season often seems to be about Bernard and timeline B coming to understand what occurred in timeline A. So far, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, as if all of that isn't mind-blowing enough, there does appear to be a third timeline, and depending on who you read, maybe even a fourth and a fifth, 
Now, we'll refer to this third one as timeline C and maybe a D and beyond. That said, (laughs) if you're serious about your understanding of what's actually going on in HBO's Westworld, be sure to check out David Crow's article, Westworld Season 2 Timelines Explained. Actually, you did a pretty good job of remaining spoiler-free, and I understood everything you said. (laughs) So I'm sure David Crow had quite the challenge writing that in a coherent fashion. So I can't wait to read that when I get caught up. Oh, and I think he loves that stuff. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead with uh, season two item as well. And that's Mars season two. And Dave, you and I covered Mars season one on Nat Geo for our sci-fi fidelity podcast. Such a great mixture of fiction and nonfiction. And apparently that's continuing in Mars season two. And there's an article by Alejandro Rojas, who has been featured on our podcast a couple of times. And that's because of his connection to the reporting of things going on in the science of space. But the article that Alejandro Rojas is entitled Mars season two, watch Bill Nye and Elon Musk talk about the future of exploration. So definitely Alejandro is focusing in on the nonfiction aspect of things, but there is a wonderful fictional hypothetical uh, future that might be in the works if things go as planned. Right. And I was so surprised how great that series was. And of course, Elon Musk and SpaceX play a pivotal role in the series. So yeah, great article. Exactly. But in the second season, there's actually going to be some new faces. Obviously, Bill Nye, we mentioned, he's making an appearance in the trailer and he's going to be lending his insight into the future of Mars exploration. Now, Nat Geo also announced that one of my favorite scientists, prominent theoretical physicist, Michio Kaku, and former NASA chief Ellen Stofan and best-selling author Jared Diamond have also been added to the list of experts for the nonfiction portion of the program. Now, as for the fictional aspect of things in the future, there's also going to be some additions. In the first season, we saw a handful of astronauts traveling to Mars to scout out a location for a base and begin construction. Well, the second season starts several years in the future, and a private corporation has also sent humans to establish a mining colony, which it kind of fits with the whole SpaceX being a private entity exploring space in our present to have a corporation also doing that in the future. So this means an extended cast, which includes Asai Morales of Ozark and NYPD Blue, among others. And the season, according to showrunner D. Johnson, takes us literally into new territory With no laws, no government, and no safety nets of any kind, what is it like to be among the first settlers of Mars? Not only do we explore dangers and mysteries of this brand new world, but we also explore what it means to be human in a place where so few exist. Now, Den of Geek was fortunate enough to visit the set for the second season in Budapest, Hungary, and they got selfies on the new spaceships and the space stations. I'm very jealous. I wish I had been there. The sets were very impressive, and the second season will not only entertain, but give us a lot to think about, especially if we truly want to meet the goal of getting human boots on the ground on Mars in the next couple of decades. So I can't wait to see, based on this article, just reading the article, I I am excited to watch Mars Season 2 because I haven't gotten a chance to do that yet. And if you're excited for that series as well, go ahead and read Mars Season 2, Watch Bill Nye and Elon Musk Talk About the Future of Exploration by Alejandro Rojas. All right, Mike, it's been a while, but do you remember which Marvel movie started this juggernaut on the roll that's unlikely to slow down anytime soon? I'm going to go with Iron Man. And you would be right. (laughs) Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark 
Iron Man. And to think at the time, there were those who thought that this was a desperation move that wouldn't really amount to much. And now 19 films later, with the 2018 releases of Black Panther and Avengers Infinity War, it might be time to consider what order the film should be viewed. And not to complicate things further, we also have the television shows to consider, including everything from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to the lackluster Iron Fist. Not surprisingly, 2008's Iron Man is a great place to begin, followed by The Incredible Hulk. But shouldn't we also consider the Marvel one-shots? I I know you were a big fan of those. Oh, yeah. I think it definitely needs to be in the mix. And you're saying this article does include things like Iron Fist? Yes, it does. Well, then if it includes those, it definitely has to do the one-shots for sure. Now, as far as the one-shots go, there's The Consultant and Agent Carter, even though the latter ended up with its own series. That changes the timeline up a bit, but, um, you know, Marvel's noted for that, and we are okay with that if we are fans of the Marvel Universe. But arguably, the release of the Avengers acted like a blast of nitro in a race car. But to truly line things up correctly, viewers have to intersperse segments of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with the one-shots and the films. Now, working our way through three Iron Man flicks, the Hulk, a couple of Captain America stories... The appearance of he of the golden flowing locks, not once, but twice. (laughs) Yeah. We ultimately make it to 2018 and Black Panther and Infinity War. But you're asking, well, where do Guardians of the Galaxy and the various Marvel Netflix series fit in? Should I watch Daredevil before Jessica Jones and Luke Cage or after or maybe in between? I mean, it's a lot to process and we haven't even considered Ant-Man and Doctor Strange. So at this point, your head's spinning And it should be clear why viewers need a roadmap to navigate the Marvel Cinematic Universe maze that now encompasses the big and small screens. So if you're like me, somewhat clueless where to begin and what to watch next, check out the Den of Geek article, Marvel Cinematic Universe Watch Order, put together by Editor-in-Chief Mike Cicchini, Katie Burt, and Robert DeCajal. All right, definitely looking forward to checking that out. And elsewhere in the Marvel Universe, I checked out a story by Alec Bojelad called Spider-Man spinoff Silk in development at Sony. And this is a spinoff character that I was not aware of, but it sounds pretty interesting, mainly from you know sort of the diversity angle. So Sony and Marvel Studios, in case you're unfamiliar with it, and I imagine most people realize that they have a very awkward shared custody of Peter Parker. And it continues to work wonders for both the extended Spidey universe and diversity in comic book films. Spidey friend Silk is the next Spider-Man character to get the spinoff treatment at Sony following the lead of Venom and Silver and Black. And Silk was created by Dan Slott and Umberto Ramos and debuted in The Amazing Spider-Man number one back in April of 2014. And for those not familiar with this hero, she's a Korean-American high school student named Cindy Moon. She's in Peter Parker's class, and one day she just happens to be bitten by the exact same radioactive spider that bit Peter. And the bite imbues in her similar powers, including superhuman strength, spidey senses, eidetic memory, and an ability to cling to most surfaces. And I think the one major difference is that she can make her own web, as opposed to Spider-Man, who has to use little web shooters. 
But Alec shares a few choice digs at Sony's ability to carry the Spider-Man franchise on their own, having stumbled with The Amazing Spider-Man 2. But he praises the studio's ability to milk the hero by cutting a deal with Marvel Studios in which they would take over creative control of the character while Sony would still foot the bill and reap all of the financial benefits, exploring potential spinoffs like this October's Venom and other projects in the works, such as Silver and Black, which actually recently got pulled from the 2019 schedule, but it's presumably still in consideration. And then in right around Christmas time of 2018 is the animated Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which is something to look forward to. But this partnership has really yielded some greatness in the form of Spider-Man Homecoming. And one little interesting side note that I noticed from Alec Bojelad's article is that Cindy Moon already made her own Marvel Cinematic Universe appearance as a member of Peter's decathlon team in Spider-Man Homecoming. So that was kind of like a nice little Easter egg to foreshadow what was to come. So if you're interested in learning more about this spinoff idea, read Spider-Man spinoff Silk in development at Sony by Alec Bojelad. All right, cool. Well, I'm going to bring up Spider-Man again in a, in a second. Okay. Now, as we reach the halfway point of 2018, it's a good time to take stock of the video game industry and the fare that gamers have been afforded to this point. So while Sony and Microsoft duke it out for control of the 4K market just over the horizon, Nintendo and the PC market continue as major players. But what about the games themselves? What are the must-play games of 2018? So let's take a look at the list the Den of Geek staff has put together. Okay. Now, of course, no list would be complete without a Call of Duty title on it, and Black Ops 4 certainly deserves its appearance here. A brand new zombie campaign pits four time-traveling warriors against supernatural forces, and players will be able to travel to ancient Rome for the zombie-filled gladiator games or fight off the horde on the Titanic. (laughs) That's just weird enough to be good. So you were attracted by supernatural forces, right? Not time travel. (laughs) Yeah. Just kidding. All right. Now, first-person shooters continue their popularity, and perhaps none embody the concept more than the Hitman series. IO Interactive's reboot of the Hitman series caught some by surprise, and when Square Enix decided to drop IO from its lineup of first-party studios, it put the future of the Hitman series in limbo. But luckily, WB Games has come to the rescue for Hitman 2, a more traditional release that's going to feature tons more levels and targets for Agent 47 to take down however he sees fit. Now, the staff played this one at E3 and got to snipe a race car driver while wearing a flamingo suit. I mean, come on, Mike. (laughs) Sounds like fun to me. Right. And then finally, with a superhero resurgence from both DC and Marvel, it seems only fitting that we find room for Marvel's Spider-Man from Insomniac Games. Thanks to the innovations of the Arkham series and Insomniac's experience with smooth movement controls, this upcoming Spider-Man game may just be the one Spider-Man title that actually captures everything interesting about the character rather than simply mastering one small iconic aspect of this Marvel hero. Yeah, well, that sounds like a great tie-in. It's difficult to do those tie-ins to established properties. So that's great. And the gaming reporters at Den of Geek have just been doing a a great job of all the stuff that's coming out of E3. So that's good to see. Now, I want to bring up one sequel that maybe isn't on the same franchise level as the MCU that you talked about earlier. But Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is out in theaters here. And Don Kay got to talk to Toby Jones, 
for this publicity run that they've been doing for Jurassic World. And I'm a big fan of Toby Jones in BBC Four's single camera comedy Detectorists, in which he plays a metal detector hobbyist and quiz show enthusiast Lance Stater, who couldn't possibly be less like Jones's character in the new Jurassic Park movie. And Den of Geek readers probably associate Toby Jones with his Marvel Cinematic Universe role. And that is, of course, Arnim Zola in the first two Captain America movies. And Arnim Zola's villainy is more closely tied to this character that Toby will be playing in Jurassic World, the amoral businessman Gunnar Eversall. Now, this opportunist sells living dinosaurs to various bioengineering and military concerns on the black market. And Jones couldn't possibly be more pleased to be playing such a wonderful scumbag. He says in the interview with Don Kay, I, of course, think he's a terrific guy, (laughs) trusting, ambitious and dynamic, resourceful, interested, ruthless sort of chap. He's an energetic guy when it comes to money and perhaps slightly foolhardy when treating dinosaurs like you treat stolen paintings, I suppose. And also, of course, pandering maybe to his American audience, Jones added, I hope without having to articulate it that he might remind people of certain people one might see in the news from time to time. So Toby definitely seems to be enjoying. I think he just loves playing a villain is what it boils down to. Now, here's Jones from a promotional clip that Universal Pictures shared with the press where he's barely containing his glee at playing such an unlikable guy. My character, it's safe to say, is interested in money and the profits to be made from generating new breeds of dinosaurs. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So... Uh, and the way he sees profits being made is, can they be sold? Can you sell them as weapons, like an arms dealer? So in a way, he's like a rogue arms dealer. That appealed to me. I'd like to, I like playing people like that, people who are f- fully compromised. And, and I think he really does enjoy it, Dave. You remember Arnim Zola from uh, Captain America, I presume. He was such a squirmy little mad scientist guy. Oh, absolutely. And and as an actor, you wouldn't want to do this kind of a character all the time. Yeah. But it's got to be so much fun. Yeah. And of course, he was in the uh, short-lived Wayward Pines as well. And I enjoyed him in that show as well. And Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, while it hasn't exactly gotten the most glowing reviews from critics or audiences, that hasn't stopped people from going to see the film. And Toby Jones is always a great reason to go see any movie anyway, or any TV show for that matter. And Don even ends his interview by asking if Arnim Zola is still out there on the internet somewhere. 
and after cautiously inquiring, are you working for Hydra when you ask me that question, or are you working for the opposition? Jones said he'd never tell, but ended with a resounding hail Hydra. So for more, uh, you definitely want to read the very amusing and fun interview with Toby Jones. Toby Jones is ruthless in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom by Don Kay. Nice. Now we're going to go into some more weirdness. <laughs> Speaking of entertaining interviews, that is. We've got one this time from Daniel Curland, who, of course, contributes a lot of different interviews to our podcast. And this one is from a comedian named Joe Para. And if you're not familiar with Joe Para, he's kind of like a male Maria Bamford if Maria was on Quaaludes. <laughs> I mean, he's just like normal uh, mid-American guy being very boring, but also very entertaining at the same time. It's kind of difficult to describe, but some people use the description comfortably awkward as Joe Perra's style of comedy. And it's so low key. You might accuse him of appealing to an ASMR audience instead of an adult swim one. If it just weren't such damn sincere comedy and Daniel Curlin had one of the strangest conversations one could hope to have in an interview with Joe Perra about his new show, Joe Perra talks with you along with an unexpected detour along the way. And I'll let Daniel tell you about it. Adult Swim is no stranger to taking risks with its programming. When the network premiered a little over a decade ago, they were finding edgy avant-garde programs, and nothing has changed since then. The Niche Network is still the place for the best alternative comedy, and as the network has become more established, they've been able to take a few more risks with their selections. Additionally, as long-running staples of the network, like the Eric Andre Show and Robot Chicken, prepare for their ends, it's more essential than ever to find the right batch of new talent. Adult Swim has given gentle comedian Joe Para a few showcases in the past with his two specials that aired on the network. Now Para has been given a full-length series that's very much an extension of the dry, humble magic that's presented in his previous work. Para's comfortably uncomfortable brand of comedy isn't necessarily for everyone, but many people are heralding him as the best thing to hit the network in a long time. Joe Para and I talk about the growth of his series, Joe Para Talks With You, and how less conventional series like his own are now finding bigger audiences than they have ever before. Oh, and Dragon Ball. Joe brings up a lot of Dragon Ball. You and your comedy have such a specific style, and I see shades of series like Look Around You and Nathan For You in this show. Do you have any specific inspirations or series that you look to when putting this show together? The only show I watched while was making it was actually Dragon Ball Z, or Dragon Ball Super. Okay. But yeah, I, I, like, uh, I like Look Around You quite a bit. I, I like what I, I haven't caught up to all the Disney Free stuff, but I really did like the, the, the stuff that I've seen, and then I like a lot of stuff. Yeah. Most of Dragon Ball Super influence on this one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I watched that too. I'm a big fan of that, so oh, I get really? it. Yeah, yeah. What I, do you think of the ending? I mean, I guess I it was a bit of a surprise that Android 17 uh, was the grand winner, but I guess, it, you know, it was like a pretty typical ending. What did you think? Yeah, I, I thought it was a little it ended too nicely. Sure. Um, you know, every, everybody made it out okay, and then JJ went back to pretty much the same, I guess, except for that Goku now has all trans but other than that, things are pretty much the same. Yeah, everyone's back. 
I'm a big fan of the two previous specials that you did for Adult Swim as well. Did you sort of look at those as like a guide for what you wanted to do with this show? Or did you consider like any wildly different ideas for this program? learned a lot from doing both of those. They kind of like introduced like a lot of the characters were established in the Christmas special and a lot of the, the formatting and style was from the sleep episode. It's kind of like uh, yeah, and I guess that the whole how to scene is kind of present in in the, the other special. Uh, you know, I each of these episodes of upcoming series is how to do something like uh do a breakfast and how to pick out figure out what topics you wanted to do for the season like were there any good ones that didn't make the cut in the end yeah i can't remember them right now but there was a there was a good number of them that got cut there's you know i would like i'm interested in a lot of things i would talk about all sorts of stuff but unfortunately we only had nine so we kind of had to choose yeah i tried to squeeze it i think one of my big problems is i try and squeeze too many subjects and too many facts have such huge topics too though that it is you know like there's still so much that you don't cover yeah I think you like do a good job at you juggle a few different types of humor in your show what would you say is your favorite variety of humor from the program though like what aspect of the show makes you laugh the most honestly I, I, I try and kind of embrace the mistakes they I mean, people you know, mispronounce something or screw up a line or something mm-hmm. or uh, something or like really kind of like that. And that makes me laugh. Like one of my favorite things is just uh, me and Joe Firestone, who's also in the series. We did a scene where we walked into a bar and she had turned around backwards because we were faking a conversation and she bumped into the doorway. And she played it off very well, but just watching her bump into the doorway makes me laugh every time still. Yeah, that's great. I love... Stuff like that. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that's the stuff that's not scripted, too. So, I mean, it's catching you off guard, so it's going to be a little funnier to you. Sure. I could write, you know, work on a joke for, for months, but then she just walks into a doorframe. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan of Joe Firestone and Connor O'Malley, who are just great, so I was really happy to see that they're both a part of this show, like, both behind and in front of the camera. Yeah, Yeah. So having them there would uh, kind of help make it into a series as opposed to just me talking like a boy at the camera. 
How do you go about constructing a typical episode and like mixing the topic ideas with like the random chaos that's going on too? Do you kind of just start riffing on a topic and see where it takes you or do you try to plan it all out or do you go about it differently than Joe and Connor do? Um, I thought I've been figuring out because it was, you know, we had done the first two shows, but this one kind of had to be trying to carry the story across the season too. So trying to, uh, figure out how to answer the question or show them how to we promised I didn't want to uh, propose anything like you know they wouldn't let me an episode to prepare talks you back to sleep and we wanted to make it relaxing and and do that again but we also had to kind of keep the story moving forward and it was different every episode was kind of different answers its question and plays out narratively but I, I think that Interesting. Yeah, I like it though, and I like that each episode. I mean, if it was the same kind of mix each episode, I think it'd be less interesting. So the fact that some are like really on topic, or some kind of get distracted with other stuff, uh, and that there's like seems to be an overarching story through the season. Like there's stuff that continually comes up in each episode. So yeah, I don't know. I think you guys do a good job. I also think it's so funny to see you teaching music to a big class of rambunctious kids. Why did you want that to be your character's job? I went to school and had a place where they had a big music education program. And I was friends with a lot of the guys who went on and, and girls who went on to become uh, music teachers. I just thought it was a, a good addition. I think that they do is really important. And I, I, I just thought it was a good fit. That's why I left music. Yeah. No, it's funny. It's funny. Yeah. Do you have a favorite episode or like set piece from the season that really sticks out to you? Right now, we finished it only a couple weeks ago, and right now, I don't want to watch any of it. <laughs> I think I'm particularly proud of the final episode. I think it's I think it's completely different than uh, anything that I've tried to do before. Um, I hope it's not the ending. No, I saw one, two, and four. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, there's one where you, you know the character Gene. Yeah, Gene's great. That's really funny. That whole breakfast crew rundown is maybe my favorite bit from what I've seen so far. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's just kind of based on, like, I started thinking about it because um, my dad goes pick up their bagels on the same place every Saturday in Buffalo. And when I'm told to always make it, make a point that just finds one friend. He has a breakfast crew and they get there and a lot of, I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah.
Yeah. Have you yourself ever had a perfect egg bite, or is that still just a pipe dream for now? That's true. Thing that Connor does. I we were a big fan of eggs and breakfast, and he eats two omelets a day most of the time. Not my favorite, but just like him a lot. The one gets fried eggs, so we actually do that. So uh, we're trying to get just the right amount of toast, ham, hash browns, ketchup, and egg into his mouth at the same time. And watching him do it is really funny, and I just said you should put that in an episode. You do that for real. Yeah, funny. Yeah, I know that this might be a difficult question, but rank the five Great Lakes from best to worst. I don't know. From best to worst, I mean, I'm I'm a lot of people. I don't know. I think from where I've seen Lake Superior is the most beautiful. It's also the most dangerous. I, I put that number one. There's a large reason why we shot there was because of the superior and how, how pretty it is. But also, uh, I said tie for second place for being here in Michigan. I love it here because I, I grew up on it uh, in Buffalo. But Michigan is, uh, Lake Michigan is less polluted and also bigger. So they'll tie for two. Number four, uh, like, uh, Cool. I think those are very respectable answers. There's nothing to be worried about there. Okay. Cool. I don't know. And just last question, Joe, and this is a, a bit of a tricky one, but I've seen a bunch of interviewers who like to ask people that they're talking to this whole fuck, marry, kill question. And I think that's a rather vulgar, violent list of options for a game. So what three things would you change fuck, marry, kill to instead? Instead of fuck, marry, kill, what do you think it should be? Uh, get a cup of coffee with, get a cup of cocoa with, get a cup of water with. I love it. That's great. Cool, Joe. Thanks again for taking some time. I really enjoyed what I've seen from the show so far. And yeah, I can't wait to see the rest. Thanks. I appreciate it. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, please do. Do you think in the movie, the is going to get all transparent? Hmm. I'd say no. It seems kind of like that's Goku's thing and Vegeta's on like a separate path. Or I don't know, you know? You know what I mean? He's got that second stage of Super Saiyan Blue going on. So I think they're kind of going in different directions. Like they'll focus on different strengths and and be able to work better together because of that. What do you think? Yeah, I kind of agree. I I, I think that the kind of version of Ultra Instinct that Vegeta got was not quite as cool as Ultra Instinct. And I hope that they kind of yeah, it should look a little different. Yeah, I'm with you too. I always want Vegeta yeah. to come out on top, so I'd like to see that as well. Yeah, here's the open. Yeah, here's hoping. All right. Such a strange interview. I, I think it's just uh, Daniel was barely containing his <laughs> amusement at being asked so many anime questions, but... I think that was probably a very fun interview for him to do, and I'm so glad he could share it with us. Yeah, and we like Strange. <laughs> it's right. So we hope you found this uh, interview entertaining, as well as the rest of our content that we shared with you. There's plenty more on denofgeek.com. But that's going to be it for this installment of the Den of Geek podcast. Join us again in two weeks for the July 2018 early edition of G News, when we'll hash out the latest from denofgeek.com and share some more behind-the-scenes content from your favorite television shows, movies, and more. And if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, whether Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. 
So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.